This is Cultivating Place, conversations on natural history and the human impulse to garden. From North State Public Radio in Northern California, I'm Jennifer Jewell. Have you ever noticed how every garden has a story? No matter how many gardeners might have worked that spot, just two, for instance, Mother Nature and you, or multitudes, you and the many who, known or unknown, may have worked that ground before you, the land you cultivate hike or gaze at, has a story. Likewise, every gardener has a story. No matter how many gardens they've cultivated or at what point in their lives they came to their engagement in gardening or love of natural history, there are stories there. But as Alfred Austin famously said, show me your garden and I'll show you who you are. In the first year of Cultivating Place, I heard a good lot of feedback from listeners and friends. One piece of feedback from a friend was this. I want to hear from real home gardeners, too, what they're doing, what they're thinking, how they cope. And I liked the idea of this kind of sharing, a kind of dispatches from the home garden. While every garden and every gardener have this act of cultivation in common, they are all necessarily different in their living details. We all have fingerprints, but they are all unique. I think something meaningful is learned in sharing both our commonalities and our differences. Today, we'll hear from the very friend that sent this feedback request. She sent it more than once, so it only seems fair that she would help to craft and kick off this kind of conversational home gardener story time. In the interest of full disclosure, she has been my close friend since the second grade. She'll take it from here. My name is Crystal Findling, and I just turned 50 this year, and I live in the foothills west of Denver, and I think think that I'm in the USDA zone 5A, but I looked it up and I could be 4B because it's kind of cold here, but I'm in a microclimate, so I'm going to say 5A. For a living, I'm a manufacturing engineer. I build satellites. Such a funny job. I certainly would say I have been gardening my whole life. I grew up gardening. I really grew up more as a steward of houseplants. When I was a kid, my mother had this wonderful room we called the sunroom. And it was a bright, sunny room with a tile or brick floor. And it was very, very hot in the summer, which was wonderful for my mother's favorite plants, which were succulents. And it was filled with every kind of succulent you can imagine, plus some other varieties of other funny plants that she had collected. And there was every windowsill, the floor along every wall, the table, there was house plants were everywhere. In the winter, it was still pretty warm, although in the night it got cold, but luckily succulents do not seem to mind getting cold at night. And during the day, it got nice and warm because they had a whole bank of windows on the east side and being in the foothills of Colorado, the sun would come up and just blast this room with sunshine and so it would warm up very quickly and we spent a lot of time in there in the mornings because it was so bright and sunny and warm and the funny thing is in every plant was a resident spider and even though we did not like the spiders we weren't really encouraged to smush them so they had a very happy existence in this room that was so smelled so wonderful of all these plants then my father had a big vegetable garden which we were 
forced to water and weed, which we didn't like as children. And now I love to do. And then I helped with my best friends garden quite a lot. And so my whole childhood had gardening as a summer backdrop. I grew up about five minutes from where I live now, which is funny because you don't think that you're going to move home and then you do. I've been in my current house, which could easily be defined as the garden because the garden is the most fantastic part of this house for nine years. I love it, but it's a lot of work. I think I'm at about 7,500 feet and that is pretty high for a lot of plants. Mm -hmm. How many gardens total have you cared for in your lifetime? They're hard to count. I've always had houseplants. Every job I've had, I've had plants in the office. Every home I've lived in, I've had plants. And most of the houses I've lived in, have I've had gardens. And because I was married to someone in the military, we moved quite a bit for a while. And even at those homes, I had gardens. Even in some of the most inhospitable places, my garden in Germany, my landlord was rather surprised I wanted to put in a garden and it was immediately devastated by slugs. So it was a very short-lived garden. Visually describe your current garden for listeners. Well, I live in the foothills west of Denver, which is mostly a ponderosa pine and fir forest. And I'm in a valley. So when you come up to my property, it's a hidden area within the forest And my gardens, I'm on the north slope, so it's shady and out of the wind, but because of the way the sun comes in, my property is sunny, but around it, because of all the trees, is shady. So I have just a little microcosm of sun on this wet area on the north slope of this hill, and the people before me that I bought the house from were incredible at hardscaping. And so I have beautiful sandstone hardscaping with a sandstone terrace and these raised garden beds with sandstone walls behind them. We get quite a lot of sandstone because um, in Colorado, we have a wonderful sandstone quarry um, north near Lyons. And it is a beautiful red pink color. I have a gazebo, which is sandstone floor and it has pine stripped pine uprights and then uh, a network of pine as the roof and I have some clematis that grow up the uprights and I have quite a few beds along the back patio is probably 30 feet long by about three feet and those are all perennial beds I have another herb garden that's maybe 10 by 4, and then another mint garden that's about 1 foot by 10 feet, and that's just in the backyard. And then the front, along the side, there's sort of a wild area where there's currants and all sort of nice berries, bushes planted, um, which I keep trying to think to go and figure out exactly what they are because some of them I go "Hmm, the birds really love that I wonder if I would too so I haven't gone to the extension office yet but I intend to then below I have a very small lawn that's about the size of a kitchen and around it are more garden beds and then 
and of course, because once you have a few garden beds and you've started terracing, you never stop terracing. You become like China. You just want to terrace and terrace and terrace. <laughs> so I keep putting in more funny beds in different areas around. But I have quite a lot of gardening space, which is wonderful and at the same time a bit oppressive because then you have to maintain them. Do you make an effort to incorporate the native plants of your area in order to enjoy them yourself or in order to create an encouraging environment for your wildlife? It's funny you should ask that because just this year I decided that I wanted more kinnikinick on my property and I was hiking with my children and I found a wonderful patch that was in full berry. So I filled up my pockets with kinnikinick berries, which also I believe is called bearberry. Mm-hmm. And I plan to I've heard they don't transplant well. So if you dig them up, they will not thrive. But I've heard if you start them from berry that they will. So that is my current project is to plant more kinnikinick around because the berry is quite well loved by the wildlife, which I'm not sure actually if it's a good thing or a bad thing because I have so much wildlife in my gardens that I don't know if I need to encourage them any more than they're already encouraged just by what's there. Give me a description of the kinds of perennials that characterize your perennial beds. Well, I love peonies, and I got a tree peony a few years ago, and I would like to plant some more peonies, although I'm always sad when they stop blooming because they're so vibrant and beautiful, but they don't last as long as I would like. I have quite a few daylilies because daylilies are so hardy, and they're one of the few things that does not get decimated by the wildlife. And... Let's see, I have I have a new crop of delphiniums, which I really like. And they seem to be thriving when I can keep the elk out of them. And then I have quite a few lilacs. So your wildlife sounds like it's both a blessing and a curse. Talk about the challenges you face on a, an annual basis with your wildlife. Well, the wildlife is why many people love living in the foothills. And as a gardener, it is the most challenging. The most difficult thing is the elk. We have an enormous elk population. They are undeterred by dogs and they love to eat people's gardens. And they are indiscriminate killers. They will pull something out, decide they don't like it and just spit it next to where you planted it. And it's very discouraging. So, To deal with the elk, we actually jokingly call it the perimeter defense system. It sounds like maybe a Star Wars episode, but it is a system of motion-controlled water sprayers, Mm -hmm. and it's hooked up to the hoses, and it is one of the few things that keeps the elk out of the gardens. And it's wonderful, but we do joke about the fact that we have this elaborate perimeter defense. We also have quite a few pocket gophers. We have rabbits and bears. And all of those things make it very difficult on the gardens, eating them from above and eating them from below. Last year, all of my beautiful bushes got girdled by the rabbits, and that was quite devastating. The rabbits, we have quite a lot of snow, and as they make their tunnels through the snow, I didn't know that they did this, but I've now found out that they... When they warren, they have all these tunnels and they have eaten all of the bark off of my bushes. And so especially my choke cherries, which I like to make syrup out of choke cherries and all of the wildlife likes choke cherries. They ate all of the bark from about the ground to about three inches above the ground and they 
killed all of these bushes. It was really sad. So in the spring, when I thought, oh, everything's going to turn green, I looked out and I was like, wait a second, that is not green at all. (laughs) So we had to cut quite a few bushes out. And that is difficult because the shade from those bushes also helps a lot of other things grow because the sun is so strong here. How do you handle your pocket gophers and your girdling rabbits? Well, I broke down and I got a cat. And I do love my cat, especially because she's not a bird eater. She just likes ground varmints. And she has done a pretty good job. This year's the we got her a couple months ago, and she's done a very good job of clearing out quite a few of the pocket gophers. And the rabbits do not like her. And so they have moved on, apparently. And I'm hoping that her presence in the garden will help. However, as you know, in a wildlife-prone area, she is in danger from the fox and the owls and all the other things that might think she's a tasty treat. So we are very diligent about keeping her in at night. And so we have a delicate balance with the wildlife and our new cat. I'm Jennifer Jewell, and this is Cultivating Place. Today we're hearing the first in a series of what I'm calling Dispatches from the Home Garden, in which we hear the stories and gritty details of gardening and nature-loving lives from home gardeners across the country. We all have memories, day-to-day challenges, and joys. Today we're hearing from Crystal Findling, a satellite-building, manufacturing engineer, mother, and home gardener on the front range of Colorado. We'll be back after a break to hear more. Stay with us. This is Cultivating Place. Our ongoing relationships with our gardens and the natural world around us can hold some powerful memories and meaning in our lives. In the first of our new Dispatches from the Home Garden, today we're speaking with satellite builder, mother, and home gardener Crystal Finling. She's sharing some of her life's gardening stories, challenges, and joys. We're just back after a break. Welcome. Are you an organic gardener? I mostly am an organic gardener in that I don't put much into the gardens other than my chicken manure and organic mulch that I get. I get, because I have so many trees, I have quite a lot of mulch from the trees and I have quite a lot of chicken manure. But it's mostly because I don't want to go to the store and get anything. And so... (laughs) And I think it's important. I have quite a lot of bees. My neighbor is a beekeeper. So I want to do my best to keep my plants healthy for their bees. Plus, I have quite a lot of birds. And I want to make sure everything is as healthy as it can be because I have so many wonderful visitors um, in the wildlife spectrum to come and visit. So I want to keep everything healthy for them. Now, you had an experience. I'm not sure if it was last summer or the summer before where you really became Um, aware of neonicotinoids in some of the plants available at common plant providing places. (laughs) Describe that that experience for us. So I had gone and I had, um, because I have such problems with the pocket gophers, quite a few of my perennials had been eaten from below. So I, in the spring, I realized I had quite a few bare spots in my garden. And so I we have a Home Depot very close to us and they were having a wonderful sale and it was quite a lot of plants that I would want to grow anyway. And so I got some delphiniums, some daylilies, some potentias, and I got just a 
variety pack of things that I knew would thrive here. And, you know, I kind of looked through them. It didn't look like there was anything weird about them. And so I started putting them in and I was thrilled and then stuffed in between the plant and the pot, but not sticking out where I could see it. I found later these tags, which said that the plants had been treated with neonicotinoids. And I was furious because I had even looked to see if there was anything weird about these plants. And I know that those kill bees and I was very unhappy. So I emailed I didn't want to pull them out. I'd put everything in it. It had taken me days to get all of these planted and mulched. <laughs> so I was so mad. And so, of course, I emailed Home Depot telling them how upset I was, which they didn't even email me back. I was sad. Um, but it was sad because I knew that we need our pollinators. Um, and he, I was contributing to the problem. And my poor neighbor's bees were going to come t- to these flowers. So what I did do on the ones that I knew had been treated but because I wasn't sure which ones they were, but I thought it was mostly the potentias is I actually did not let them flower that year. So hoping that a year's worth of growth would maybe flush it out and that nothing would be using it. So when they came to pollinate, there were no flowers. So I just cut all the flowers for that year, which was sad in itself, but at least I knew that the bees weren't coming to get it. So I'm, I'm gathering some of your challenges. What are your greatest joys in the garden? I realized in talking to my children about the garden when in preparation for the interview is that it's a beautiful garden. The perennial beds are so wonderful, but they are more about who we want to be than who we actually are. When my children were small, we had a vegetable garden and we had a lot of fun growing vegetables in the garden. And these gardens are wonderful for flowers and we like them but they aren't as wonderful as growing vegetables and the crops of our vegetable garden, which we have just never had time to put in in this thing. We have herbs and we enjoy them and we enjoy picking new plants for these gardens, but it's not the same joy that we had as a family in our vegetable garden. However, when my kids are sleeping in, because they're teenagers now and they sleep in quite late, I love a morning spent in the garden where I have it all to myself and I can just go out and weed and fiddle around and move some stuff and fill in here. And that I really enjoy just the time to myself in the garden. Do you have life memories that are sort of poignantly embodied in a garden? And if so, describe them and that garden. When, where I lived previously, when my children were small, we had a wonderful vegetable garden in a community garden. And that was wonderful because not only did we have the community of gardeners, we got to spend a lot of time deciding what to plant. We would seed start in the spring before the snows had melted. And then we would nurture those along and then see if they would thrive and figure out if they would thrive or not because it's such a difficult climate. And then, of course, eating things straight out of the garden. That was a much more poignant garden in our lives because all of us enjoyed it so much. And the even weeding was a joy in that garden because it was fun just to be together and with the community of gardeners discussing what was thriving, what was not, who had been 
you know, devastated by the pocket gophers, who was trying to keep them out, and how everyone was strategizing about having the best garden in that nice community garden. Memory that I do quite like in my gardens that I currently have is that my two sisters came uh, one summer and I'd had some bare spots because of the gophers and they helped me do some rearranging and planting of the plants. And it was really fun to spend a couple day with my two sisters just playing in the gardens and eating good food and having a wonderful time just hanging out, working in the garden together. They both are excellent gardeners and doing it together was very fun. You lost your mother quite early. Yes. She got sick when I was about six with breast cancer and she died when I was 10. Do you hold some of her memories in your caring forward of houseplants? Certainly my houseplants are an embodiment of my maternal line. It's funny because I still have a plant at mother's-in-law's tongue, which was my great aunt's. My grandmother's sister was also a great lover of houseplants. She gave the plant to my mother. It was in our um, in a funny thing around the stairwell growing up. And when my father got remarried, they got rid of this planter system. And I got the mother's-in-law tongue, which I still care for. And I sometimes... Will, I will divide it and give it to other some to other people as my maternal line houseplant. And certainly my houseplants and the caring for them and the wonderful succulents that I have certainly are a vestige of my childhood of loving those houseplants. At work, I have all these plants at my office and my colleagues call me the plant rescuer. <laughs> <laughs> Because I have all these plants and none of them were purchased. They are all given to me by my colleagues. They were murdering them and they knew I would save them. And so I have a jungle of an office that you can barely see out the window because I have so many plants in front of it. But I love it and it's wonderful and I'm happy to be able to be the plant rescuer. <laughs> I have the house plants, which is really probably my biggest love. Then I have vegetable gardening, which I love, but I'm not doing at this point, which is really from my father. He was a big vegetable garden. And then the perennial gardens, which are from your mother, which I loved as a child, but did not come naturally to me and which I love to take care of as an extension of my love of her gardens. Mm -hmm. When you think about yourself at the age of 50, 51 and moving forward, kids, I think, are close to going off to school. What oh, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> and so what What maybe are your dreams for, for your maybe your next garden or your next phase of gardening in your life? It's funny you should say that because I do think about that quite often because gardening is a lot of time. And now I just have enough time to maintain my perennial gardens. And I really am a farmer at light, at heart. I've always wanted to be a gentlewoman farmer. So one of my goals is to change the area that has my wood pile and some of the currants and put in some nice vegetable beds there. And I already have chickens. And so their manure really should go someplace 
to grow vegetables, which is a funny thing because I don't even really eat vegetables, but I love to grow them. <laughs> and I find quite a lot of satisfaction about growing them and then giving them to all my neighbors. And I have to say, one of my favorite things is to eat unwashed carrots. I love carrots straight out of the garden, unwashed with the dirt still on them. There's something about the dirt still being on the carrot that makes the carrot all that more delicious. <laughs> what inspired you to want to share your garden with other listeners? I wanted to say that I think that people are plant people. If they like to garden, there's something fundamental about loving plants. And my kids and I do love plants. So almost every time we travel, we go to botanic gardens. And we found there was a nice botanic garden in Anchorage. And it was fun to go visit it and see what would grow there. And they have an enormous fence around it to keep the moose out. And I thought, oh, well, at least I don't have the moose. <laughs> <laughs> I am a non-typical gardener in that I don't always do a good job with my gardens, but I do love it. And I do think that everyone struggles with when their plants die or get eaten or get hailed on that one is discouraged by gardening, and yet it is such a wonderful thing, and it makes you feel so great to go back out into the gardens and to grow things. And I wanted to share that even though my gardens have been decimated many times by many different things, from grasshoppers to slugs to elk, that I still love to garden. And that the gardening, just being out there on a summer morning, fiddle farting around in the garden is just such a happy thing and that I want to share that. And I have such a great memories as a child and I have great memories with my children. And that natural instinct to garden is such a fundamental part of who we are. And it, it doesn't matter how good of a gardener you are. It is still a wonderful thing to do. Thank you very much for being with us today, Crystal. Crystal Finling is a lifelong gardener and a nature lover living at 7,500 feet on the front range of the Colorado Rocky Mountains. As home gardeners and nature lovers, we all have our daily details, our favorite flowers and trees born of time or place, our favorite and least favorite tasks or visitors, our most meaningful people or life thresholds embodied in or held by our gardens and natural places. As I listen to any home gardener candidly share his or her stories, I find myself nodding in agreement. I love peonies too. Or shaking my head in disagreement. No, no wildlife killing cats. But mostly I find myself more able to plumb and consider my own gardening and nature loving more clearly, more compassionately, more generously. There is value to that. Maybe hearing this home gardener's stories brought something up for you. If you'd like to share your gardening stories as a home garden dispatch on Cultivating Place, we'd love to hear from you. For details, go to contact us at jewelgarden.com. Join us again next week as the conversations continue on the many ways people engage in and grow from the cultivation of their places. Thank you for listening. For this week's audio archive or to subscribe to the podcast, please visit mynspr.org. For more information, including many photos, please visit jewelgarden.com. For daily photos and more, follow Cultivating Place on Instagram or Facebook. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio and jewelgarden.com. The program is made possible in part by the Stanley Smith Horticultural Trust. Our producer is Sarah Bohannon. Until next week, 
Enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. Thank you.